Hey everybody, this is Sean and uh, Rachel is back behind the scenes uh, and we are here for the very last episode this year of the Vet Med Mind. And the Vet Med Mind was created to celebrate success stories in veterinary medicine. You know, all too often we hear about the problems of veterinary medicine and how bad things are. So we thought it would be nice to take an approach of, let's look at some people who have devoted their lives to veterinary medicine. And it doesn't have to just be medicine, it can be the peripheral as, as is the case today and look how at how they have created what we would call success now success is different for every single person and that's the main topic is how does this person define success in essence how they found happiness with a life in veterinary medicine and so our guest today is mr ian Matthew. uh ian is uh, a long time like employee number six or something like that of veterinary growth partners uh, i knew ian when we started vgp and i knew of ian prior to vgp i think we crossed paths at several conferences where I was uh, speaking and or uh, hosting and Ian was there representing companies as he's done for so long. He's got a unique background in veterinary medicine. I won't spend a lot of time talking about it. I'll just let him introduce himself. But he and I share a love of our our, our family share a love of racket sports. And so he's got to tell me about tennis and, and the whole family because that's really a cool story. But I know that Ian does rodeo. I know that Ian is a veteran. And I know that Ian is actively involved in his faith. And I know that um, Ian has a reputation on the circuit as being quite the charmer. So how do you combine all of these eccentricities into one magnificent man? Well, this is how you do it. So folks, welcome Ian Matthew to the program. Hi, Ian. Hi, nice, Sean. Goodness, man, that's a heck of an introduction. I don't know. Well, it you... sure is. It sure man. is. So, how do you know? I, I I say that you have success in veterinary medicine. So, I guess I should ask you: Do you feel like you've been successful, and and do you feel like you've been successful at your career in veterinary medicine? I do, man. I do. Yeah. You know, I, I I'm on the sales side of it, obviously, right? I I didn't actually practice medicine, although I was a technician. In the military for a few years, I was a tech for my dad, um, who was a veterinarian. Um, but for me, <clears throat> I, I quickly realized that, man, veterinary veterinary medicine is hard, and getting into vet school is hard. You know, I, mm -hmm. I had the dreams of, of of being a vet, just like most of the folks that I know that are involved in this this industry. Um, but after doing some late night shifts at an equine hospital, and and realizing, you know, the the time and effort and the in the you really have to have a passion for the medicine itself and, and science, what my, you think the, the science, science that's exactly mm -hmm. right. Yeah. And I just, I enjoyed the science, but I wouldn't say that I was passionate enough to, to go through vet school. Um, so I was introduced to the sales side of things and man, I just fell in love with it. Uh, I really loved, enjoyed building the relationships and, and get a chance to, to meet all the doctors and techs and, and receptionists and everybody, everybody that was involved in the practice. So from that standpoint, from a sales standpoint, I definitely feel like I've had success for sure. And, and for our listeners who might, the vast majority of might be involved in clinic operations, working in the clinic, what does it mean to be in sales in veterinary medicine? Because everybody knows what sales is. They know what veterinary medicine is, but what does it mean to be in sales? And how do you define your success in sales? That's a great question. So for me, I was a distributor rep. So okay. I, I started out with Webster Veterinary Supply, which became I remember them. Yeah, mm -hmm. which became Patterson um, Vet Supply. So for for me, success on, on the sales side, um, obviously, I mean, you're you're selling products, you're selling drugs, you're selling equipment, um, and you do have like anything else, you've got numbers that you've got to hit. 
Uh, but you're, you're, I quickly realized that you're not going to go into a vet hospital and be able to sell them a brand new CR or, or DR unit just because maybe you're a smooth talker or you make it sound so enticing. You know, veterinarians are very particular um, as they should be, but they're real they're not going to trust you right off the bat, right? You've, you've got to build that relationship. And that's true, I think, of, of any kind of sales. And I, I was never and still not real good at just aggressiveness. You know, like you just kind of, you you push people. That's never been my style. I've always enjoyed building the relationship. For, for me, success in veterinary medicine and particularly veterinary sales was more geared towards um, really gaining that trust and getting to know that practice owner, getting the managers, the technicians, and really getting to get a better idea as what's going to fit for them. Because the one thing that I've learned, you know, sales get such a bad rap. Um, and I, I even, you know, when my father was was a veterinarian, he I didn't know anything about veterinary pharmaceuticals. I had no idea there was a whole separate drug sales force strictly for veterinarians. I thought yeah, the tell us about that. Tell us how you got like how your father maybe influenced part of your career choice today and how that helped you and then how you got into sales and veterinary medicine. Yeah. Yeah. So you know my dad was um well he spent the majority of his career in the military as a veterinarian. Um he worked for the DOD military working dog program at Lackland Air Force Base. Wow. And he was the the radiologist over there and he got real big into um, ultrasound. He was one of the first guys on the West Coast to get into ultrasound, which opened up all kinds of doors for him for the marine marine mammal side as well, because everything, most of what you do with marine mammals is going to be preventive medicine. There's not going to be a whole lot of surgery going on, although it, it, it does happen and has happened. So when my dad got involved with the ultrasound side in the in the mid 80s, it just opened up all kinds of avenues for him, for SeaWorld, for the military. Um, the military has dolphin, sea lions, and beluga whales that they use for mine and swimmer detection, um, which is actually where I was stationed when I when I joined the military. Um, where was my, that? My, in, I thought I was in San Diego, California. San Diego. Okay. Yeah. San Diego. Yeah. So my my dad was a huge influence on my life. I, I was I fell in love with animals from the get go, and, and a real this quick story. So, and we'll we'll touch base on the on the tennis story as well. But um, so I've got two older brothers, neither of which could care less about animals. It's just it's never <laughs> been anything. It's not like they don't like animals, but they right. just you know, it's, it's not, not their like, passion. That's exactly right. So I come along. And I just love animals from the get go. Well, and where are you in the rank? Are you middle, youngest, oldest? I'm the youngest. I'm oh, the youngest. Of I got you two. Are. Yeah. If you guys knew yeah. Ian, he's got this kind of. You you can still see the mischievous young child in him, <laughs> <laughs> and I can see your brothers going, "Man, yep. I'm gonna punch you to the other side of the room." hundred percent. hundred percent. Yep. All of the above is true. <laughs> um, but yeah, so. I, uh, my dad actually physically delivered me when I was born. What? So that's, that's what we think. We think that maybe that when, when he caught me, you know, maybe, maybe that was what, what passed on the uh, love of, of animals and veterinary He thought medicine. it was a whelping puppy or a foal that's, or something. Huh? <laughs> that's exactly right. Yeah. He wow. was running. We were, I was born in Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri. Um, and my father was stationed in Fort Leonard Wood and he was running with the CO, um, his commanding officer, uh -huh. And they were on a run and they saw my my mom drive by uh -huh. in, the, in the old school station wagon. The CO looked at my dad as they're running. And he goes, hey, wasn't that your wife? He's like, wait, what? 
and they knew it was about that time. And sure enough, right. he gets home. And I guess there's a note on on the fridge or on the counter, head of the hospital, going into labor. So he jumps in the car, goes over there. And apparently, he knew the MD that was going to be um, delivering me, essentially. And my dad's like, "Hey, you mind if I scrub in?" He's like, "No, I'll go ahead." He scrubbed on in and came running in and caught me right when I was dropping out. So wow, they wow. think that maybe maybe that's so part you were of it. born in Fort Wood, Missouri. Fort Leonard Wood. Yeah. Fort, Fort Leonard Wood. I know exactly what it is. I went yeah. to college in Missouri. See, Ian and I have um now I wouldn't say parallel lives, but some similarities along the way, and that uh I am the son of a, a veteran as well. And I was just going through some things here, and uh my mom passed recently, as you know. And mm-hmm. uh I haven't really ever looked at my birth certificate. And I always tell people, you know, I was born in a military base and I get it wrong all the time, Fort McCoy, but it's Fort Wainwright, and you can't see it, but this little birth certificate here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so Fort Wainwright, Alaska. That's where I was born. So I was born on a military base too. My dad brags how it only cost $26 for me to be born. (laughs) (laughs) Everything was cheaper on base. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So one of the things, you know, I talk about is the mental health issue that we seem to have in veterinary medicine and that sometimes we, well, we quantifiably draw depressed people people that maybe have some fragmented lives and are working on personal development. I say that to say that you have never seemed to me like you've, let me state it in the positive. You seem to me like a person who's come from a fairly stable background, from a family that loved them, from from some security, from some people that provided you with direction and helped you make like what we would call a normal family, but one that wasn't toxic for lack of a better descriptor. First of all, is that description accurate? That is accurate. Okay. So knowing that, and it's, I think I know the answer, but to hear it in your words, did you just kind of come into the world with this understanding of like work-life balance and mental health and, and we're a happy kind of balanced person, or is that something you had to work at to achieve? Because I always wonder what it's like for people who came from normal backgrounds. Like how did they, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, There's a lot absolutely. of people that come from negative stuff that have to overcome and they make something happen. There's a lot of people that come from people who are so successful that they feel like they can never achieve. So they work really hard, mm-hmm. but we don't hear stories about people who came from average or supportive backgrounds and how that helped them. So what, how did you get to be so mentally healthy as it appears that you are? <laughs> um, well, I, I mean, it definitely, I definitely worked at it. I mean, there, there's, and in full disclosure, so my my father was an incredible human being and was a huge influence on my life. Mm-hmm. My relationship with my mother, I, I wouldn't put it in that category. Um, very cold, very very distant. Yeah, just um, just I, I stuff I can't explain. Like I, I've got, like I said, I have two older brothers, and we're we're could probably couldn't be more different. Um, in our, as far as our interests and activities, I mean, one lives in Nashville, one lives in San Diego, California, and, I, and I'm in Texas. Um, you know, one's a, a big time triathlete type guy, one's a surfer, and one's a wannabe cowboy. And, mm-hmm. um, but we, we've all had problems with my mom. She's just a, a very cold person, not a loving person. Um, but my dad was was the polar opposite of that. He made up um, for it, kind of. Huh? He did yeah. absolutely made up for that. And my dad was, you know, he was a, a very intelligent guy. Obviously, you know, DVM, bachelor's, masters. Um, but he was just he was he, he never he was never real forceful. You know, he was always very encouraging. Um, and my my brothers, you know, were valedictorian and salutatorian, 
uh, in high school and I barely graduated. I mean, it wow. was, it was cause by the time I came along, they, you might, they didn't have to push my brothers. Like it right, was right. just academics kind of came natural. I, I had to study. Like I really had, once I finally started to study, uh-huh. but I was more concerned about playing ball, chasing girls and having fun. Uh-huh. And, it, and uh-huh. it showed, um, uh-huh. I, I literally barely graduated high school, which is the reason I joined the military. Okay. Uh, so, all right. So this, the, so you didn't have, I mean, you had a stable upbringing, but it wasn't all roses. <laughs> not, not at all. No, no. not. And uh, you I were the underachiever in your family then. That's how that's you started correct. out. That's exactly right. Yeah. And it was, I think, uh, you know, we had financial problems. Like we were in debt our whole lives. My, my father invested in a barbecue restaurant in when we were in Missouri um, and it went belly up and he took on um, his partner filed bankruptcy, but my dad refused to do it and took mm. on his debt as well. Um, wow. So we, I mean, we were, we had vehicles repossessed, you know, it was, I can remember my father was the head vet at SeaWorld in Cleveland. Um, and we had a, a, his pickup got repossessed when we lived in Ohio. Wow. Um, and we lived in a little, like a shed. it was literally a um, garage apartment. Um mm. In Ohio, we lived there for, I was in Ohio for about a year and a half. And he's the head vet at SeaWorld. You know, any, most veterinarians are like, that's just your dream job, right? Like it was just the marine mammals and what an incredible experience. Um, and it, it was a great job, but financially, you know, it just wasn't, we, we struggled our entire lives. So I, th- I think that's, once I joined the military, uh, what, I, always, I always tell people the military is the best decision my dad ever made for me. Because- <laughs> yeah. How did that come up? So you were going down. Let me reframe for our listeners again. And I want you to notice listeners, because you know, this is what I do. I, I said to Ian, I said, you had a um, uh, stable, loving, supportive household environment. He's like, yeah. And then he goes, but there were a couple of things. Yeah. <laughs> and now you listen to him tell it. And uh, it, you know, like all people, evidently there's been some trauma there too. You know, and because the financial instability is traumatic to people, um, distant parenting or inconsistent parenting is traumatic to other people. And certainly being the youngest one and not achieving academically. Um, so your dad said, go to the military or you're going to the military or. Yeah, it was. So what I actually did, I think my graduating class in Ohio was 120 and I graduated, I think, 115 in, in high school. <laughs> Well, it's a good thing you were ha- you were handsome. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I'll take whatever I can get to get through it. Um, wow. But I, I just, I had, I had no game plan. I literally had no game plan. And wow. you know, a lot okay. of my buddies graduated. They got into to the colleges they wanted to go to. I knew I didn't want to stay in Ohio. No, no mm-hmm. offense to the folks of Ohio, oh, but I, I was born in Missouri, but grew up in South Texas. And so I, I just, I really wanted to get back to Texas. I knew that. And if you're um, a cowboy, that's kind of where you want to be, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, I don't know how I ended up in Texas, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> <laughs> you mean you didn't come down here to rodeo cowboy? No, I did not. But I I will watch. <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah. So I just, you know, it was one of those things I could go to a junior college. I went and looked at some junior colleges in Ohio um, and it just didn't feel right. I just, I really, Ohio was just never a good fit for me. Right, um, right. And, and so when push came to shove, my dad was like, you know, my dad was a Marine in Vietnam before he joined the army. Mm-hmm. And he was just, you know, once a Marine, always Marine. He was definitely left the Marine Corps. So I went and saw the Marine Corps recruiter. Um, 
And I sat down with the Marine Corps recruiter and I, I was fully intending on joining the Marine Corps and the Marine Corps recruiter just treated it like boot camp. I mean, he just started asking, mm-hmm. you think you got what it takes to be a Marine law? I'm like, man, I just came down and asked a couple of questions. You know, I just kind of, <laughs> and I literally got up out of the, out of the Marine Corps recruiting office, walked right down the hall to the army, talked to the recruiter who was much better. And I joined the army. Okay. Um, wow. And, the, and part of the reason I joined the army was I knew about the veterinary corps. Okay. So all mm. of the veterinary services that are that through are the army are through the army. That's right. Mm. So mm. no matter if you're on an army post or a Marine Corps base or an Air Force naval. base or Naval mm. base, there's always going to be army somewhere on that installation because all the veterinary corps is now in the army. It used to be Air Force and army. Then they moved mm. it all over to the army, I think in the late eighties, early nineties. Okay. So how old are you at this time? You're 18, 19? I'm 18. I'm okay. 18. Right. So yeah. off you go to the, to the, uh, to the army and where are you stationed then? So yeah, I, I go to the army. Um, I go to Fort Leonard Wood for for boot or basic training, um, and then I go to my advanced individual training or AIT, your schooling for vet tech school, essentially at Fort Sam Houston, where I grew okay. up. All right, um, and then I get stationed in San Diego, California, um, attached to Navy EOD and Marine Corps Recon, um, wow. which use dolphins, sea lions, and blue whales. So you're 18 uh, or 19 and single in San Diego. That's right. That's exactly that's right. A, that's just, that's a recipe for maybe some disaster. Yeah, so. You know, yeah, a hundred percent, you know, and, and my uniform, believe it or not, we had to wear BDUs on Monday, which is your battle dress uniform, uh-huh. essentially your camis, you wear your camouflage uh-huh. uh, on Mondays. And then Tuesday through Thursday, I wore shorts, flip-flops and a short sleeve polo shirt. And uh-huh. I learned to drive a boat in the army. And I just, I literally, no exaggeration. You just, I just, I played with dolphins and, and, and sea lions and blue whales, essentially. I mean, I was medical, right? We were drawing blood, right, doing right. physicals, things like that. But yeah, being 19 years old, living literally on the water in the Bay in San Diego, California, um, isn't exactly a bad duty station. <laughs> no, no. So, so then fast forward, how, how did you, I'm assuming you're going to attribute the armed services with creating the discipline that you needed or the structure that you needed or gave you role models? Because what I'm trying to get at is you ultimately became what you define as successful. And we agree long-term career, working with somebody, working, making money at something you're passionate about, uh, working with people and helping animals. Uh, But so where did the transition come that you went from? I don't have a lot of direction to now I've got myself together. And what was that about? Yeah. So for me, it was lack of options. So even though I I had a great duty station, I grew up in the military, so I, I knew what was coming. You know, this is the being in San Diego was was incredible, but it was going to come to an end. That's usually a three year stint. And then you're going to get stationed in Korea or you know something like that, which is exactly what was fixing to happen, actually. So for me, joining the military pointed me in the right direction um, in the sense that I, I don't know. Because of my MOS, my military occupational specialty, my job, because it, it was considered a, a soft MOS. Mm-hmm. I was I wasn't a combat right, right, right. MOS. I don't know that I'd say that the discipline came from that. Um for me, it was realizing that my options were limited and that this wasn't gonna last. And I wasn't gonna make a mistake that I made in high school, which was mm-hmm. thinking that I'm just gonna 
be able to keep having fun, all that kind of stuff. So I started taking college courses on the weekends in San Diego, um, which believe me was not easy when everybody was going to the beach and going to the bars. And I I would not have had that discipline. No, I Um, had to go to some rural college in Missouri called the school of the Ozarks (laughs) to get me away from all the temptation. Yeah, seriously. And I get it. So for me, it was, it was almost a fear. It was a fear of not necessarily failing, um, but a fear of getting pigeonholed where not being able to do the things I wanted to be able to do. Yeah. Fear and of being that, less than what you were programmed to be or scripted right. to be. Yeah. That's, so that's exactly for our right. listeners again, here's another key. While it didn't, you know, role modeling and um, pathways to success are different for everybody. But one of the things that Ian had that I can really relate to and that I found professionally when I got into veterinary medicine was being around veterinarians and the veterinary profession in and of itself is encouraging and a role model kind of thing for, for all people, because to become a veterinarian and to be, and to work in a veterinary environment, you have to have some certain disciplines. (laughs) You have to have some certain uh, IQ and you certainly have to have some drive. Like, so when I got around veterinarians, I had my parents as role models, which weren't good role models and watching veterinarians. I was like, Oh, wow. Okay. So this is what, functional people do. This is what a healthy person does. And it it demystified success for me by watching people that were successful. Because what I thought was only lucky people made money. Only lucky people got a career. Only lucky people got a chance to be something more than what they were scripted to be. And by being exposed to other people, I was like, well, no, it's just not lucky people. It's just people who raise their hand and say, hey, I want to do this. (laughs) Right? That's right. Yeah, that's that's dead on. And I, I felt the exact same way. It was mm-hmm. almost like people that were were successful would just kind of stumbled into it. Um, mm-hmm. And it was more of the realization that if you just work your tail off and point yourself in the right direction, then, then all mm-hmm. that stuff can come. So, so I heard Ohio and I heard California. How does all of that lead to, is it barrel racing? Or what is it? You you do the rodeo circuit. I know that. But how did, how did that whole other life? Because like you know, one of the reasons I relate to you is I have all these strains in my life that people don't know about. You know, like when I was a right. music performer or uh, I work for an airline and, you know, people are like, what what, what have you not done? And I think you have a similar uh, you've done a lot of things. So tell us about the rodeo. And I play pickleball. You do rodeo. What's it about? Yeah. So I I've, I've just man, since I was a kid, I. I've always been fascinated by cowboys. I, I just thought okay. they were like almost like superheroes to me. So really? it's not barrel racing. Let's get that clear. That's that's more of, of a woman's uh, um, sport and rodeo. But excuse me, because ever since I was a kid, I wanted to be Tina Turner. So you can see why. <laughs> you can right. see why I might have gotten it confused. And I, and I love Tina, brother. So that's that's a good pick. Um, yeah, so I got into I started riding uh, rough stock. I started riding bucking horses in in high school, and actually, believe it or not, it was in Ohio. Uh, it was my you mean first. That makes you break rodeo. your back and stuff when you yeah, get thrown off. Uh, yeah, it did wow. not take me long to realize that you know what I, I think I'm going to focus on the other end of the arena. Um, so I, I got involved in team roping. Um, team roping, okay. Yeah, a little bit of calf roping I did for a little while too. But the team roping is is my passion. Um, that's, and you don't say roping; it's roping, right? <laughs> you can say I want to make sure that I get it right. You're roping in, when you're in the, in the rodeo. That's right. Roping, right? Yeah, exactly. If I were to walk into a rodeo and say, I'm in the roping event. That's right. Yeah. Hey, they might pick up on, uh, I don't they know about that, Tina. Exactly. I don't know about that. So is it, would you say that it would be your alter ego that 
that is a cowboy or is that an integrated part of yourself that just as much as the professional salesman that you are? That's integrated. That's mm-hmm. integrated. Yeah. And that's, that's definitely, it's, it's just as much a part of, of who I am as far as the, the sales side. Um, so it's not even, it's yeah. more than a hobby, right? It, it Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a definite full-blown passion. I mean, it dictates, you know, where I live. I live in comfort, Texas on 20 acres um, by myself, you know what I mean? So I'm, there's not a, there's not a whole lot going on in comfort, which I love. It's a cute little town, but you know, it's not exactly Austin, Texas. So we, right. But if you had a job where you just lived in comfort, that might not be so good for you. You're he. This guy's on the road way more than I am. He's all over the United States and and North America, traveling. So I could see how you'd want to be in. A, what a lovely name for a town, huh? Comfort, Texas. Yeah. It's about uh, forty five miles south of where I am right now in in uh, suburban Austin. Yeah, yeah, and that that's a good point because when COVID hit, you know, we got shut down and and we weren't traveling. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was great for about four months. And then I started to get that itch. Like, yeah, I need yeah, to get back yeah. out. Yeah, we have friends, mutual friends that live in Hawaii and say the same thing. It's like, it's great, but now I'm getting rock fever. I want to, you know, yeah. I want to I expand a little bit. So how would you define success for yourself? What, you know, if somebody were, to, if a young kid, or a person were to come up to you and say, what does it mean to be successful? How would you, how would you, what would you, how would you mentor them? What would you say to them? Uh, for me personally, I think it's, you've got purpose and you feel that you have purpose. Um, you know, the, the, if the first thing that pops in your head, in your head, or at least it does for me, when you think success, in addition to the, to the purpose part, you think money, like that's the, mm-hmm. that's just automatic, you know, success and you automatically think wealth. Um, and that's all well and good. And it, it's, it's great to make money. Don't get me wrong. But um, for me, it's, it's, it's having purpose. And, and that's something I learned from my dad. Cause he, you know, he, we were never like we talked about. I never grew up wealthy, um, just just the polar opposite, actually. But man, he just he lived with such passion for people, for animals. Um, and he just he had he had purpose. You know, it was just I could see it on his face. I could see it. He was up every morning at 430. Um, you know, he would be doing PT or exercising, physical training. Um, he would read in the morning, he'd read scripture in the morning, and and he just always live life with purpose. And that's something that I've learned over time that to me, more important than the financial side is, is knowing that you're serving a purpose. So for me, it's those relationships and being sure that I'm able to you know help the vendors and some of these hospitals see the value that BGP can bring by working with practice coaches, by going to the workshops, by coming to see you. Um, you know, that it's that you talk about that work-life harmony, you know, I really do believe that what we're trying to do at BGP is, is give people that, that release of the stress. And if they can figure out that purpose and being able to have each person has their job and their purpose in that practice, they're much more focused, they're clearer and they're less stressed and they don't, they don't take that stuff home. So for me, it's purpose. You touched on something else too, and that a lot of veterinarians, while they have veterinary employees, veterinary professionals, while they have passion for their work, it gets to be a little myopic and they don't, they don't exercise passion in any other area of their life. So they don't have stuff outside of work. And I think you and I would agree that, that one of the recipes for a successful life is our work-life balance, for lack of a better descriptor, is finding something that you love to do outside of work too. You know, Absolutely. whatever it is, whether it's develop people, coach, uh, I happen to be into pickleball and something competitive like you are into rodeo. It, it helps me focus. Um, I do some of my own spiritual stuff and I'm not here to talk about that, but I am interested in if you're, if you care to share what part spirituality has played in your 
or your faith has played in your stability or your success. I, I know you to be an out Christian, for lack of a better descriptor. And that, uh, hey, look, like you know, that. us like people got to be That's out. Good. You Christians are going to have to be out too. That's right. Um, That's right. And and uh, and I know that you recently went on a mission, even. And are you okay talking about that? First Absolutely, of all, hundred percent. I'd love okay, to. I appreciate right. you asking. Yeah. Um, yeah, for me, the same thing. With this is the first um, I've done some outreach stuff in some rougher areas, like when I lived in Baton Rouge. I've done we do some food distribution in San Antonio, and I've done Habitat for Humanity, um, you know, building homes and things like that. But this is the first time ever I've ever gone uh, officially overseas on mm-hmm. a, a quote unquote mission trip. And, and I where usually, were you? I actually went to Coventry, England. England. Um, I was in England, and you wouldn't think like even when I saw it pop up. I was like, man, England, like, why would you really need to go? I think of more people in England. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know what I mean? I yeah, think of like the yeah. U.S. almost. Like yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but yeah, so Coventry is is a essentially a a um, hub for immigrants. So mm-hmm. you get mm-hmm. people from all over the world trying to get away from obviously their their circumstances or whatever country they're coming from. Mm-hmm. So every background you can imagine, like from the Sudan, um, mm-hmm. Egypt, and it, is, it was 20 different nationalities. Kind of islandish place, huh? That's exactly right. Yeah. Yep. Yep. We worked a lot with, with Muslim folks, um, atheists, Christian. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was just, it was very eye-opening for me, but the, the main thing that we did was we were helping the immigrants learn English. So we did some English class stuff with them. Um, we did some food distribution. Some of these guys, you know, had just come over to Coventry and they just, no jobs, no food, things like that. So they would come through and and we'd give them food and just kind of help them. And we and we'd pray with them and we just, just talk mm-hmm. to them. You know, the biggest the biggest thing is I learned was the importance of just listening to people um, mm-hmm. and not being so quick, just like in a conversation with you and I, you know, not being so quick to think about a response, but just listen to their backgrounds and where they come from. And I think what sometimes what can happen is they're, they're so quick. And I'll speak from what I've done in the past, so quick to judge as opposed to just listen to somebody and truly understand where they're coming from and meet them where they're at. And and that's something that I really learned even more so on this trip because the the missionaries we worked with were from Brazil, a married couple. They were just uh, an unbelievable human beings. But there's there's just there's no judgment. You just you just you're just trying to help people. You know, you you really want to help them. I know that to be true about you. Uh, when I've you know you know my story and we've we've talked a lot over the years or interacted mm-hmm. a lot over the years. And one of the things about Ian that uh. Is Ian is very approachable. If you're a gay man of a certain age like I am, uh, about 15 years older than Ian, uh, you can it can be very easy to be defensive around anybody that you know isn't from your community, if you will. And so when I first met Ian, I was like, um, oh, a rodeo guy, um, a Christian guy, um, a straight guy, um, <laughs> a, a, an army veteran. Uh, this is going to be a fun relationship. Is when I first <laughs> thought to myself, like, you know, be on guard, be on guard. And he, you couldn't have been anything other than the opposite of that. Completely unaffected, um, uh, gentle, kind, caring, not judgmental. So I appreciate that because person in a professional field, responses like that are always nice. So I appreciate it. And thank you for your friendship over the years. And I, and in full disclosure, um, that that's reciprocated. So I, I was bracing up, but you know, that we were going to have some kind of clash on yes. whatever, you know what I mean? Right. Right. Because we're so opposite. Or, yeah. 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 We, I mean, we couldn't be more opposite, but I love you to death. I mean, I just, I love mm-hmm. being around you. I'm always having a good time. And, and I just, I learned so much from you. I mean, your intelligence and your insight 
Um, you know, these workshops aren't just for the attendees. You know, there's right. there's a reason I sit it on them. So I just yeah. I can't thank you enough for your friendship and your insight, brother. It's it's much You're appreciated. Welcome. You're welcome. I love you too. Uh, we would be remiss. We were running out of time, but I, one time I was talking to Ian about, I, I am a passionate tennis player and in my older age, I've stopped playing tennis because it doesn't, it hurts more. And I can't find people that play uh, at the same level, but I discovered pickleball. But every time we get together with Ian and he's like, Oh, I have some tennis in my background. Would you care to share if you can the tennis story and your, yeah. is it your two uncles or your dad and your I, it, something? Because we were talking about your last name and all of that. Right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So, so it's, it's, my grandfather and his brother. Okay. All right. Uh, let's right. see who it is. I guess that would so be your my great uncle. Yeah. yeah, great, great uncle. uncle. Exactly. Yeah, great uncle. Okay. So, yeah. So, my family, um, diehard tennis players. Right. And my, you're Polish, my, right? You're I am Polish. Polish. That's Polish. Okay. That's right. Yep. And my dad played college tennis. Um, my grandfather and his brother were on their way to play pro tennis. Um, Which would have been, what, the 40s and 50s? It would have been... 30s and 40s 30s yeah. and 40s so don 30s budge and, and all those people that's, that's, from, yeah. Yeah, look at that. people yeah, yeah. You know your history i um, do i'm an avid tennis fan yeah. yeah yeah so it was you know it was in that era of you know ellis like you talked about ellis island and things like that to where you know immigrants regardless of skin tone if you will it was you know it was your background your name all that kind of stuff hey. so my my actual real last name is Matajic. It's not mm-hmm. actually Matthew. And, and the reason that, that it is no longer Matajic is because when my grandfather and his brother were playing pro tennis, they weren't good enough to go pro in, in singles, but they were good enough to go pro in doubles. Wow. Um, so when they went to the tennis association, they're like, hey, we want to apply for our, you know, your card, all that kind of good stuff. And they're like, hey, we've seen you guys play. You guys are fantastic. Absolutely. But in full disclosure, uh, a name like Matajic is, is not going to fly. Like we, we've got to come up with something like a Smith or a Jones or something just kind of bland. So my grandfather, this is this was a, just a great you know metaphor for me for life. And just but my grandfather, when he went and met with the association, was like, I, I don't perfect. Yeah, call me Smith Jones. You can call me whatever you want. I just want to play tennis. So literally on the spot, they're like Matajic, Mahoney, my but how about how about Matthew? Done. Let's do it. Changes his name to Matthew on the spot. Wow. Goes to his brother, my great uncle, and says, Hey man, we're in. We're good to go. All you got to do is go change your name. And his brother, my great uncle, looks at him and goes, I'm not changing my name for anybody. Mm-hmm. And for about, I don't know how many years after that, probably 20 plus years, they didn't talk. And wow. to this day, half my family is Matajic and half of it is Matthew. Wow. There so, you go, folks. If you're working on your no. genealogy um, and your last take is Matajic, I would say look at some Matthews, too. That's a fascinating story and an yeah. interesting bit of tennis history, too. So That's right. That's right. Well, I really appreciate you participating today, Ian, with uh, VetMedMind and Success Stories in Veterinary Medicine. I've enjoyed working with you over the years and yep. continue to work with you at Veterinary Growth Partners. As always, we leave with some rapid-fire questions. So are you ready? Let's do it. All right. What was the name of your first pet? Oprah. Oh my God. That's great. Yeah, it was an English bulldog named Oprah. My mom named her. Oh, that's great. What was your, what's your favorite kind of music? I think country. I oh, yeah. for God's sake. Country. Yeah. Hey, but not, not this bro country, not the new stuff. I'm a huge. 90s? Yeah. 
80s yes, and 90s. I'm a big yes. George, George Yearwood, Strait. George Trisha. Strait, yes. Alan Jackson. There you go. Brooks, there you go. Yeah. There it is. Yeah. Yeah. Back when country was nice to people. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Uh, what's your number one guilty pleasure? Uh, you know what? I, I, I love to exercise and try and I try to eat right, but bluebell ice cream, I, I can, Ooh. I can go through an entire gallon in one sitting. Bluebell is a Texas ice cream folks. If you've never had yeah. it, it's good stuff. Okay. Uh, what's one thing on your bucket list? Oh man. You know what? I've had the chance to do so many things. Um, you know what? I really, this isn't real exciting, but I, I just, I want to go to Rome. I just Rome ah. is a place I want to see that I just uh, yeah the history with Rome is is just huge for me. I've so been I, there I, three I, times. It's a great place I, to go. Yeah. I highly recommend it. Yeah, I yeah. would love to be able to see that. I I think Veterinary Growth Partners should do an international symposium in Rome. Now like you're that. talking, brother. All right. Now you're talking. <laughs> um, what's your go-to airport snack? Oh man, beef jerky. Beef jerky. Okay, that sounds about like you. And what's your karaoke song if you had to get up in karaoke? Oh. I got friends. <laughs> you know what? I I I go on a limb here. I I I try and do it, although it would be horrible. I'd have to go probably with with a little Amarillo by Morning with George Strait. Oh, I think I'm trying to do that. By morning. That's, yeah, that's my favorite yeah. George Strait okay. song. I love that song. Yeah. And if you last one, if you could go back in time and give yourself one piece of advice, what would it be? Study. 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 Yeah. Wow. If I could do it all over again, I, I would have done a lot better in school as right. far as, as high school. I mean, I, I got through college good once I got my grades up, but study. Yep. There you have it. Well, thank you, Mr. Matthew. Thank you, Ian. It was fantastic thank talking you, Sean. to you. And have a wonderful Thanksgiving with your family or with your horses, wherever you may be. All the above. <laughs> yep. Yeah.